There are lots of cases of employees stealing from their employers, from taking home a few pens from the stationery cupboard to embezzling millions of dollars of company cash. But in this episode, we're telling the story of an employee who was accused of plotting to steal something rather unusual, an 800-pound walrus. Welcome to Whistleblowers, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we explore the biggest lies in history through the eyes of the whistleblowers who risked everything to expose them. Today, we're investigating the still unfolding story of Phil Demers, the controversial animal trainer whose deep connection to a walrus prompted him to abandon his career and attempt to bring down one of Canada's best-loved marine parks. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Ah, yes, the magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! When Marineland Aquarium and Amusement Park opened in Niagara Falls, Ontario in 1961, it was an instant hit. People all across Canada came to the park for its impressive shows, where dolphins, orcas, and sea lions would leap, twirl, and dance on cue. And its founder, John Holler, with his classic rags-to-riches story, quickly became a pillar of the local community. Born in Slovenia in 1935, John had spent time working in circuses around Europe, where he had developed a love of animals and a gift for training. When he emigrated to the working-class tourist town of Niagara Falls in the late 50s, he saw an opportunity to make the most of his expertise and built marine land from the ground up, creating hundreds of jobs for the locals. For the next 40 years, Marineland thrived. And in the early 2000s, as unemployment soared, the park was more of a lifeline for the region than ever. While businesses struggled around him, John Holler continued to invest in the area, using his park to draw people to Niagara in the hope that they'd spend their money in local hotels, coffee shops, and restaurants, as well as at Marineland. He just about kept the area afloat, and the community was grateful. As the slogan in their TV jingles went, everyone loved Marineland, and everyone loved John Holler. It was during this economic slump in 2000 that 21-year-old Phil Demers answered an ad in the local newspaper and was offered a job as an animal trainer at Marineland. It hadn't been his plan to work with animals. He'd originally trained to be an audio engineer and had no animal care qualifications. 
But with the help of the other trainers, he quickly learned how to look after the animals and teach them tricks. Before long, he was even getting into the water during the orca shows and letting the killer whales throw him high into the air to wow the spectators. He was a natural performer. Over the years, Phil became close with John and the rest of the staff, and even started a relationship with one of the other trainers, Christine. Marineland was a fun, exciting place to work, and Phil was becoming a well-regarded member of staff. But it wasn't until 2004, four years after he'd started at Marineland, that Phil met the animal who would come to shape him as a trainer. That year, the park received their first delivery of walruses. They'd traveled all the way from Russia. The trainers were helping the animals settle into their new homes when one of the young females started making trouble. She kept thrashing around and holding on to the other walruses while the veterinarians tried to check them over. Phil stepped in to help. The walrus was only 18 months old and had just recently been separated from her mother. So she was just a clingy baby, really. But she was also already 200 pounds and could easily hurt a human by accident. To draw her away from the situation, Phil tried to get her attention. He stroked her and tried to distract her with games, but it wasn't enough. She barely noticed him. So finally, he grabbed her face and forced her to look at him. The walrus's nostrils flared wide as her eyes met Phil's. For a moment, the two of them just stared at each other. Phil claims that at this point, all the walrus's anxiety seemed to evaporate. She instantly calmed down. He too felt something shift in himself, something he couldn't explain. All that mattered to him in the moment was the walrus and the connection he suddenly felt with her. He'd never known anything like it. And Phil knew the walrus felt it too. After that, the walrus followed Phil around everywhere he went. He was the only one who could relax her, who could get her to take medicine and eat and sit still for the vet. When they cuddled together, she would press her face up against him affectionately, earning herself the name Smooshy. They'd go for walks around the park together. She'd hang out in the office with him. They'd roughhouse and wrestle. And he couldn't help but spoil her, giving her treats and letting her get away with causing trouble. He couldn't bear to see her unhappy. When visiting vets and animal experts told him that it appeared Smooshy had imprinted on him, like ducklings sometimes did on humans, it made sense to Phil. The scared baby walrus had been taken from her real mother, but in the moment they'd connected, he had become Smooshy's new mom. As their bond strengthened, he began to hate locking her up in her cage at night. Smooshy, like many of the animals at Marineland and other parks at that time, had been caught in the wild. There, she'd been used to cold, wet, wide-open spaces, but at the park, the walrus cages were kept in a dry, indoor warehouse. When Phil left for the day, she would crush herself up against the bars, crying as he walked away. It broke his heart. 
He found training her emotionally taxing, too. Because, like all the other animals, she had to be kept hungry before a session or a performance. If she wasn't interested in the fish they rewarded her with, she had no incentive to do what they were told. While Phil had never really questioned the way the park was run before, his bond with Smooshy made him see these methods in a new light. It made him uncomfortable, but the truth was, this was just how aquatic theme parks operated. It was entirely legal, and John and the other staff had more experience than he did. For all Phil knew, the animals were happy with the situation. Over the next two years, Smooshy grew and grew. And when she was ready, Phil started bringing her on stage, where she'd do tricks he'd taught her and give him hugs and little kisses. The spectators would go wild. Smooshy was a hit. But then, in January 2006, two years after her arrival, something happened that made some people feel less positive about the park. News spread that Kandu, Marineland's beloved male orca, had died. Phil and other members of staff took the loss hard. Phil's girlfriend, Christine, who worked exclusively with the orcas, was especially upset. For the first time, questions started pouring in from the press and animal rights activists, demanding to know what had happened to the marine animal. Some experts said that orcas were expected to live into their 50s and were upset that this one had passed away relatively young, in his 30s, although there was no evidence that Kandu had died from anything but natural causes. Right away, Phil noticed protesters standing outside the park entrance on his way into work in the morning. He started to feel uneasy driving past them, they made him think about the cages he would see inside the park, the animals that had to be kept hungry for training, and the whale they'd so recently lost. He started to wonder if he should be standing with the activists, too. But Smooshy was waiting for him inside. He felt she needed him. And so he kept going to work day after day and tried to ignore the banners and chants and poured all of his attention into looking after his beloved walrus. And in fact, Phil's attention was soon taken by a new career development when, a few months after Kandu's death, Phil and Smooshy started to gain the interest of the international press and TV stations. In June 2007, the pair were even featured on Jimmy Kimmel Live, where the TV host marveled over their unusual bond. Over the next few years, more and more visitors started to come to the park specifically to see the famous trainer and the walrus that followed him everywhere, hanging on his every instruction. Phil loved the attention and was happy to be attracting new visitors to the park. But his new celebrity status changed things at the park and would go on to be the catalyst for a falling out between Phil and his employers. Marineland's management claims that between 2007 and 2011, Phil became fixated on the idea of capitalizing on his fame. He wanted him and Smooshy to be the leading stars of a reality TV show set at Marineland. 
chronicling the lives of the trainers and animals there. The park says that in 2011, he even contacted a production company to pitch the show without telling his managers first, and that proposals and scripts had been drafted by the time they were informed. When Phil finally put the proposal to them, they nixed it, saying that it was not in Smooshie's best interests. Marineland alleges that at this point, Phil became angry with his employer and began looking for ways to harm them and their reputation. While Phil does not deny that he pitched the reality TV idea to Marineland, he calls the allegations that he decided to seek revenge when rebuffed absurd. According to him, there was a different reason why he and his employers fell out. He felt that his growing fame had made him a valuable asset to Marineland, and that gave him the confidence in spring 2011 to express his concerns to management about the way the park was being run. In particular, he believed that the quality of the water the animals were being kept in was deteriorating. Phil claims he noticed some of the marine animals were developing skin issues, were losing bits of fur, and had sore eyes. He says the vets tried to treat them, but they couldn't seem to make much difference. He believed the source of the problem was the water system that ran through the park. Indeed, a supervisor colleague of his had kept a log of all the issues he encountered with the equipment over this period. The supervisor's notes refer to faulty valves, ozone leaks, and high ammonia levels. Phil says the Marineland management were informed about these issues, but that throughout spring and summer 2011, the animals kept getting sick. He claimed that some members of staff had left in protest, making it even more difficult to give the animals the care they needed, and that even Smooshy and her fellow walruses appeared to be losing weight and getting lesions and infections on their skin. But when the park was inspected in September 2011 by the Canadian Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the self-regulating body for the marine industry, they seemed to find no such issues. They even agreed to renew Marineland's license for another five years. Despite this successful inspection, the press soon started calling the park. Among them, journalists from the popular Canadian newspaper, The Toronto Star. Someone had told them that there were staff shortages and problems with the animal's health. Marineland confirmed that their inspection had gone smoothly and denied that there were any issues with the water quality or that they were understaffed. Phil believed otherwise. He became obsessed with the idea of changing the park and over the winter of 2011, heard from friends that there might be a way for him to sue Marineland over the care of the animals. Because the animals were the so-called tools of his trade as a trainer, and he believed Marineland wasn't taking care of them, he thought he might be able to accuse them of constructive dismissal. In short, he would sue Marineland for not enabling him to do his job. The big problem was, he would have to quit in order to sue them. Phil agonized over the decision. He'd been at the park for 12 years. It felt like his whole life was there. His girlfriend worked there, as did many of his friends. And by quitting, he would be deserting Smooshy. Already separated from her biological mother, he believed she would be further traumatized if he left. 
but he also felt that by staying at the park, he was changing nothing. So Phil claims he spent the next months working hard to wean Smooshy off her dependence on him. He got her to take food and medicine from other trainers and to allow other staff to work with her during shows. When she finally seemed to be independent enough, in May 2012, Phil gave Marineland his notice, two weeks before the park opened for the season. According to Phil, at his exit interview, he stressed his concern about the water and made it clear that his unhappiness with the current situation was the reason he was leaving. He also claims he left the meeting feeling assured that he could visit Smooshy whenever he wanted. And then Phil walked out of Marineland, a place that had felt like home for 12 years. Soon after he left, Marineland management replaced the water in their system. They even delayed opening for the season by a few days in order to do so. Phil felt that while it wasn't a permanent solution, as the system itself hadn't been replaced, it was a start. Around that time, Phil received a call from the Toronto Star. The reporter claimed to have sources willing to talk about the allegedly bad conditions at Marineland and wanted to know if Phil would join them. Phil declined. He still planned to sue Marineland and didn't want to risk a lawsuit by talking to the press. Besides, he needed to stay in Marineland's good books if he wanted to keep visiting Smooshy in the meantime. One afternoon soon after, he went to visit a former supervisor who had left Marineland before him and told the older man about his plan to file a lawsuit against the park. But instead of encouraging him, Phil's friend told him the lawsuit would not be valid and urged Phil to drop it. Marineland and countless other marine parks had been operating in the same way for 50 years, and that wasn't going to change. Phil needed to look out for his own health now, his friend insisted. As he got in the car after their conversation, Phil felt lighter. For the first time in ages, his friend was right. He couldn't let his anxieties hold him back. And anyway, the park had taken steps to improve the water system. He needed to move forward. But first, he needed to go say hi to Smooshy. He hadn't seen her in almost a month since he'd quit, and he missed her terribly. Phil parked his car and walked up to the Marineland gates, just as he'd done nearly every day for 12 years. But this time, when he got to the gate, the security guards wouldn't let him in. Phil didn't understand. He thought that management had agreed he could come back and visit Smooshy whenever he wanted. But the security guards said they couldn't let him past. Phil started to panic. Did this mean he could never see Smooshy again? Phil claims that at that very moment, a colleague happened to be walking by and saw Phil. The two were old friends. He says that the colleague ushered Phil in and reassured him that he was still part of the Marineland family. Inside, Phil's first stop, of course, was to see Smooshy. But when he got to her cage, he was shocked. He claims that in the month he'd been gone, she'd lost weight and looked unwell, although Marineland would later deny that she was ill. He realized that he couldn't move on after all. 
he decided it was time to tell his side of the story, no matter the consequences. That night, he dug out the number of the journalist at the Toronto Star, took a deep breath, and dialed. When the reporter answered, he told her he was finally ready to talk about his ex-employers. He knew that doing so could get him into serious legal trouble, but he felt it was the only way to get his message across. A few weeks later, in August 2012, the star released its scathing expose. It outlined allegations from Phil and seven other whistleblowers who claimed that the faulty water system damaged the animal's eyes, that staff shortages were putting beluga whales in danger, and that the mental health of the animals was suffering. The article contained a response from owner John Holler, who denied all allegations of neglect. He told the press the facilities were, quote, legal. Overnight, Marineland transformed from a beloved Ontario institution into a source of controversy. It was a huge blow to the park and to its founder. As the public read the news, people who had never before considered themselves activists started joining the protesters who were already outside the park gates. And two regulatory bodies immediately opened an investigation into the park. The Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or OSPCA, and the Canadian Association of Zoos and Aquariums found no issues of concern but did identify seven areas for improvement, including an update of the orca's enclosure and the water filtration system. The protests continued through the summer and into the fall. And it was during one of these, on October 7th, 2012, that the rift between Phil and Marineland grew even wider. On that October day, a large group of activists holding bright banners gathered outside the park. Phil joined them, wearing a beanie hat pulled low over dark sunglasses. Surrounded by the crowd, he gave an emotional speech about Smooshy and the other animals inside the park. When John Holler drove past the throng, the protesters called out, trying to get the founder's attention. They then walked into the parking lot and right up to Marineland's gates. Footage captured by one of the activists shows a number of protesters standing at the turnstiles, where security guards and two police officers attempted to prevent them from coming in. Eventually, around 125 people pushed past them without paying. They then filed into the auditorium, disrupting a show that was taking place and chanting, shut it down. Soon after, more police officers arrived, along with an ambulance and a fire truck, and the protesters were ejected from the park without incident, according to newspaper reports at the time. Phil claims that while he did attend this protest, he did not go through the gates with his fellow activists, but Marineland's management disagrees. They allege that Phil had a mission that day and that he did enter the park with the intention of kidnapping Smooshy the walrus. In February 2013, five months after the protest, Marineland formally accused Phil Demers of unlawfully gaining entry into the park in order to steal Smooshy the walrus. 
They claimed that he used his knowledge of the park's security to get past the guards, and that he and the other protesters that joined him were loud and hostile, causing young children inside the park to flee. It has not been made public exactly what led Marineland to believe that Phil had the intention of stealing Smooshy that day, but their lawsuit paints the 33-year-old as a disgruntled employee with a fixation on Smooshy and a taste for fame. They were suing him for 1.5 million Canadian dollars. Phil denied the allegation. He said that he had proof he hadn't entered the park and that this was a ridiculous attempt to discredit him. He told the press he could hardly keep an 800-pound walrus in his two-bedroom apartment. Phil wasn't the only one Marineland was going after. The park was also suing the Toronto Star newspaper and 14 other whistleblowers who had gone to the press, including Phil's girlfriend, Christine, for defamation. She and Phil were in trouble. They had never earned big money working at Marineland and could barely afford to hire lawyers to fight the lawsuits. But as the other whistleblowers talked about settling out of court in order to avoid financial ruin, Phil dug his heels in and vowed to fight the lawsuit. Living on a meager income from part-time jobs, he took to social media to continue to criticize Marineland's conditions and even reached out to local politicians. On hearing the allegations, Madeleine Mayer, the Ontario government's community safety minister, called for tougher welfare laws and, in October 2013, increased the funding and scope of the OSPCA, the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, to give it more power and to implement more regular inspections. In a statement issued shortly after this was announced, Marineland said that they welcomed these changes and stated that the well-being of their animals had always been and always would be their top priority. For many activists, this looked like success. But Phil was far from satisfied. He wasn't convinced the changes would help Smooshy and the other animals at the park. He wanted to take his fight worldwide. And so, in December 2013, he went onto a major podcast to tell the story of his bond with Smooshy and Marineland's allegations against him. When the episode came out, Phil's fame skyrocketed and support and attention poured in. At this point, the 2013 film Blackfish had been released and was an international hit. Many people drew similarities between the documentary, which criticized SeaWorld for their treatment of orca whales, and Phil's allegations against Marineland. Phil was able to ride that wave and even raise a little money. He finally got a top lawyer and in 2014 countersued Marineland for abuse of process and defamation of his character. He claimed he didn't want money from the park, but he hoped that his lawsuit might get them into court sooner rather than later, and then maybe he'd get to see Smooshy again. But it was a slow, painful process. A year passed, and then another, and Marineland still wasn't ready to go to court. Around him, more and more of his fellow whistleblowers who hadn't yet settled were taking deals, even his girlfriend Christine. But although his lawyers were advising him to settle, Phil maintained that he would never do it, whatever the price. He said that the only way he'd drop his lawsuit and walk away entirely was if Marineland did the one thing that meant the most to him, 
release Smooshy so she could live somewhere that he approved of. But again and again, Marineland refused to release her. They stated that Phil had no qualifications that entitled him to comment on the well-being of any animals and that he hadn't set foot into the park for several years, so claims of animal neglect were unfounded. In May 2017, Phil learned that one of Smooshy's fellow walruses, Sonia, had passed away. Then, later that year, Smooshy's best friend, Buttercup, died too. And in April 2018, male walrus Zeus followed them. OSPCA inspections found the deaths were no fault of the park. Smooshy now only had one companion, the male walrus Apollo. Phil was desperately worried for her. She had lost him and her closest friend. He couldn't bear the thought of her being lonely. Phil was getting impatient. It had been six years since he'd left Marineland, and things were still moving slowly. But then, in June 2018, two months after the death of Zeus, Phil received some news. Marineland founder John Holler had died at the age of 82. John had been part of Phil's life for 18 years, and now he had passed away before they'd had their day in court. Phil felt a deep sense of loss. John had established the park in another era, when people had different beliefs about animals. He'd been lauded as a local hero, having kept the region solvent through many difficult economic times. But then, almost overnight, people had changed their minds. They had gone from sitting in the stands, cheering on his somersaulting dolphins, to shouting outside the park with placards. And to some, John had become a monster. Now he was gone. What would happen to the park? And what would happen to the lawsuit? Would Marineland finally drop it? As it turned out, that would not be the case. Marineland informed Phil's lawyer that John's family would be taking over the running of the park and continuing the lawsuit. They wanted to clear John's name and protect his legacy. For the next year, the fight continued. And then, in April 2019, Phil received the news he'd been dreading. Smooshy's last remaining companion, Apollo, had died. Smooshy was alone. Distraught, Phil threw himself further into his campaign. He and other activists had been working on pushing a bill through Canadian Parliament, a bill that would change animal park laws in Canada forever. Bill S-203, if it passed, would forbid the capture of whales and dolphins from the wild and make it illegal for parks to keep them in captivity or to breed from the animals already in captivity. Existing captive animals would remain in the parks for the remainder of their lives, as they could no longer survive in the wild. And the bill would not cover other marine mammals, including walruses, but for the activists, it would be a huge first step in the right direction. The bill, which had first been introduced in 2015, was finally passed by Parliament four years later in 2019, and Phil celebrated. No new whales or dolphins would ever again be allowed to be kept in captivity in Canada. But the victory was bittersweet. 
Not only were walruses left out of the bill entirely, but the law meant that Marineland's only remaining orca would live alone for the rest of her life, now that no new whales could be brought in. Phil's girlfriend Christine had taken care of the orca, Kiska, for years and knew that they were social creatures. The bill had a significant effect on Marineland. As well as banning future captivity, the law also forbade using whales and dolphins for entertainment purposes, which meant an end to many of the park's most popular animal shows. Marineland could use them for educational purposes or not at all. The park would need to change. And things only became more difficult for the management team when, a year later, in May 2020, a documentary about Phil's battle with Marineland was released to widespread acclaim. It made the rounds of major film festivals and many viewers took Phil's side in the battle. It was another huge blow to the park's reputation. Phil, meanwhile, made the most of the attention to fund the ongoing lawsuits. He was still dead set on continuing his battle. At this point, Smooshy had been alone for over a year, and he claimed his number one priority was still to get her out of Marineland. But then, not long after the documentary came out, Phil found out that his beloved Smooshy was no longer alone. On the 1st of June, 2020, the walrus gave birth to a calf named Koyuk, apparently the son of the late Apollo, as walruses have a gestation period of 15 to 16 months. Marineland posted photos of the baby online, and when Phil saw them, his demands for Marineland changed right away. He not only wanted Smooshy out of the park, he wanted her son, too. He claimed that he was worried for the baby's health. At this point, Phil and his supporters longed more than ever for a satisfying end to the story. They were desperate for Smooshy and her baby to be released from Marineland and taken in by a center where Phil could visit them whenever he wanted. Phil was also keen to prove that he had not entered the park on that October 2012 day with the intention of stealing Smooshy. And on the other side, Marineland was keen to prove that he had. They, too, hoped for a conclusion that left them with their reputation intact, free from the attentions of their disgruntled ex-employee. But at the time of recording in spring 2022, neither party has gotten their wish. Unsurprisingly, Marineland refused to release Smooshy and Koyuk, and to this day, the lawsuits are still ongoing, nearly 10 years after Phil Demers was first sued for plotting to steal a walrus. While both sides are still awaiting their day in court, there have been developments. In spring 2021, Ontario's Animal Welfare Services conducted an inspection of Marineland over several weeks and claimed that they found animals in distress. Alana Gazayaman, one of the inspectors, said that the water system was in need of repair and that parts had not been maintained. In response, Marineland stated that none of their marine mammals were in immediate trouble, and one of the park's veterinarians, Sherry Davidson, said that they were monitoring the animals and taking corrective measures. But then, just a few months later, in October 2021, Marineland was charged with using dolphins and whales for entertainment purposes. 
Sources came forward with footage of trainers appearing to dance with dolphins, which was forbidden under Bill S-203. Marineland disputes these claims and stated that their displays were educational, showing animals acting as they would do in the ocean. They said that they look forward to the opportunity to defend themselves in a court of law, where the feelings of non-experts are not treated as facts and the truth prevails. Marineland is due to appear in court to face the Bill S-203 charge in the spring of 2022. And Phil Demers is scheduled to get his day in court in October of the same year. In the meantime, Marineland remains open and beloved by hundreds of tourists and Niagara locals. While Phil remains a controversial figure on Twitter, he is still calling for the release of his walruses. Thanks for listening. You can find all episodes of Whistleblowers and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode about the world's biggest lies and the people who expose them. For more information on Phil Demers and Marineland, amongst the many sources we used, we found the documentary The Walrus and the Whistleblower and the Canada Land podcast Everyone Loves Marineland extremely helpful to our research. Whistleblowers is a Spotify original for ParCast, produced in partnership with Stable. Executive produced by Drew Cole, Max Cutler, and David McGuire. Developed for podcast by Julian Boireau. Written by Kate Thorman. Editorial support from Mike Jempson. Produced by Alice Homewood. Mixed, mastered, and sound designed by Joe Richardson for Stable. And hosted by me, Pat Rodriguez. 